0: CBHDD is reminding people that the Georgia Crisis and Access Line can help those worried about opioid and stimulant misuse. The toll-free number is online and is active 24-7. More information at opioidresponse.info.
1: It's a brand new week on Political Rewind. We're very glad to have you with us for uh, the show today. Um, As we get started, it it occurred to uh, Sam and Tom and I that it's really important for us to make sure everybody understands the uh, schedule for Political Rewind these days. Of course, we're on the air, you know this by now, Monday through Friday, uh, and we're on at 9 a.m. and then again at 2 p.m. But I think it's really worth pointing out to you that the show at 9 is live, Uh, The 2 p.m. show is an encore presentation of that show, and we do that because there are an awful lot of people who aren't able to hear us at 9 and perhaps don't subscribe to our podcast or hear us online. And and the reason that this morning especially I wanted to mention it is because every now and then, not very often, but every now and then our schedule puts us in a situation where we get a little behind the news. So Friday, our live show at 9, we reported that it looked like President Trump was canceling his visit to Atlanta. Of course, that changed uh, by noon, and uh, so people who heard the show at 2 may have thought, well, we know he's actually coming. That's the situation. Uh, 9 a.m., live, 2 p.m., an encore uh, uh, show. Very rarely will there be many changes like the one that we saw on Friday. And we do update the news headlines at the top of the 2 o'clock show, so that at the top of that show, we actually said, The president had, in fact, decided he would come to Atlanta. I hope that makes sense and uh, that you will continue to uh, listen whenever, uh, 9, 2, on our podcast or wherever you decide to hear the show. All right, let's get started. Uh, Jim Galloway, the lead political writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, my partner on Mondays and Fridays, is uh, with us. You uh, read him on Wednesdays and Sundays in the AJC, and, of course, he oversees the uh, Political Insider blog. How are you, Jim? I'm doing great. Yeah, healthy
2: yeah. and but not so wealthy.
1: Uh, hey, you <laughs> and not so wise. Uh, you uh, spent your weekend. You told me in your wood shop, which is one of your favorite places to be, and you built what?
2: Uh, just a little platform for our tiny grill or or hibachi.
1: Oh, very lovely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, also joining us today, Lori Geary. Uh, you know her as the host of the Georgia Gang, which airs on uh, Sunday mornings at eight thirty on Fox 5. And of course, she's the former uh, political reporter for WSB TV. And I always I'm always struggled just a little bit uh-huh. to describe your company, which is a communications f- firm a
3: media consultant.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. but you also produce, right?
3: You d- right. Produce we do a little bit of everything. Right now, crisis communications is top
1: I'll bet With it is. With everything going on, so... I'll bet it is. Uh-huh. Um, and you like this life. It's so much... We both understand how nice it is to be freed from the role of political reporter.
3: It is, it's just, um, <laughs> it's a whole different perspective. Yeah. You kind of get the other side too now and where they were coming from. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, I understand that. Um, so thank you for being here. You're just back from your spring vacation, so we appreciate yeah, so your so please forgive in. me. <laughs> no, you're great. Right. Jeremiah Olney uh, is with us today. Uh, he's with Paramount Consulting and uh, a firm, you do in fact you too do, I mean, you do consulting work. You don't Mm -hmm. have candidates in this cycle at this point, or do you now? The last time we saw you, you hadn't had any.
0: Yeah, no candidates in the cycle so far.
1: So what does that mean? What are you doing with your time over at Paramount? Uh, Ah, you know, not too much.
0: Well, right now, we're mostly (laughs) focused on the Capitol. I mean, crossover days on Thursday, so these next few days are going to be pretty crazy.
1: Yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit, uh, probably on tomorrow's show. Mm -hmm. There's other issues, and maybe today if we get to it, but um, thank you for being here. And Brian Robinson is back with us. We always Enjoy having Brian from Robinson from uh, Robinson uh, Republic. Yes, uh, he too does communications and consulting work. You
4: do have a candidate in this race, at least one yeah. up in the seventh district. That's right. I, we're doing some work for Ren, Senator Renee Ornman, yeah, uh, who's also busy with crossover week uh, this week, and then Dr. John Cowan up in the 14th congressional district from Rome. Okay, who's uh, he's really working hard out there?
1: And you this weekend
4: told us you went to see one of your favorite country acts at I Fox. Yeah, I went to see Little Big Town at the Fox. And <laughs> They're good. I'd say any night at the Fox is a good night. You yes, know? It's that's just, true. It's an Atlanta treasure. And, of course, two of the two lead women on the Little Big Town are Georgia girls. Yeah. And so I would like to support the Hometown Acts, you know. So that was really cool. They, they, they had a bunch of uh, friends and, and family from home there. So that's always – it was all right. cool. All right. Well, I,
1: I wanted our – I think people need to know a little bit more about everybody personally because uh, we talk politics so much on the show. So thank you all uh, for sharing. Um, all right, let's get right to it. Um, we know that, uh, Lori, I'm sorry, Jim, sometime either late tonight or early tomorrow morning, we're going to see uh, passengers from the Grand Princess, the uh, cruise ship that's been moored off the um, off the coast of San Francisco because uh, it's in isolation uh, because there are some coronavirus uh, uh, cases on board. People are being tested, more will be tested. We know that there are maybe some 30-plus Georgians who have been on that cruise ship, they and others will be coming to Dobbins Air Reserve Base uh, sometime again late tonight or early tomorrow morning, right?
2: Right, right. Uh, Thirty-four uh, Georgians and an unspecified number of other passengers who live up and down the East Coast. Uh, it's 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 really been interesting in, in, in seeing the contrast that uh, with which uh, – uh, Governor Kemp and 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 even local officials like Mike Boyce, the chairman of the Cobb County Commission, have kind of addressed this. Uh, uh, especially when you when you contrast it with President Trump's uh, trip here on on, on Friday. Uh, Boyce, for instance, he's got a the, the Cobb County immediately put a YouTube out with a with with uh, uh, an assemblage of of local officials and and you know began calling these people guests and one of us. Uh, people they're just like us it, it was uh, uh i mean he acknowledged the anxiety it was like to cre- likely to create but he said we've got to get through it
1: yeah uh laurie uh dobbins people if they're not aware of it dobbins has served in this capacity in other instances the ebola patients that were flown to emory uh, all arrived at dobbins uh, base uh, before being transported to Emory, so it's not something new for them, and they certainly know how to handle the situation. They
3: do, and I, c- I can remember the the video of those patients, you know, being unloaded. And I mean, they have the protocols in place; they've had them for some time. They go through training exercises, so there's nobody better to handle these types of cases than the folks at Air, that at Dobbins, and. Um, You know, it's just this is, I think, what life will be like for the next few weeks, few months, hopefully not, um, you know, too much longer. But we know that this is this is real and this is happening and it's it's not likely to succeed, even though, um, you know, what President Trump said on Friday, I think the order of the day is just to be realistic. And, you know, there's a fine line between getting people, you know, in a panic mode and versus just a realistic mode. And I think that Governor Kemp has done a really good job of walking that fine line. And I think in these times, because I'm in this crisis communications mode now and this communications firm, um, in some ways you can't over-communicate in these situations to really put people at ease. And I think that's really important. And, and to be realistic and to hear that, you know, that test kits are available and they're beautiful and they're perfect. No, you know, I mean, there's still humans that administer these tests and humans are not perfect. And so I think um, I think that's really important to keep in mind.
1: Yeah. Brian, you uh, having uh, served as a communications director for Governor Sonny Perdue, uh, I mean, for Governor (laughs) Nathan Deal, I'm sorry, I'm sorry Uh, for Governor Nathan Deal. uh, You certainly understand the stress, the pressure that a governor can be under in a crisis like this. And. uh, you laurie's i think right i think we're going to ask our democratic friend here <laughs> too but uh, the kemp administration so far seems to be keeping people on top of this in a in a very um, uh, transparent way when this first
4: hit a couple of weeks ago i said on air that Governor Kemp needs to over-communicate, to use Laurie's phrase. I said the exact same thing and, in fact, needs to communicate every day. And that's what they've been doing. Mm-hmm. And so I give them top marks for staying on top of it. It's also important visually to see him standing beside the president at the CDC. Very important for us to hear from our governor that these people are coming to Dobbins. I,
1: I, I want to talk about that for a second be, because I think there's a little dissonance there um, without taking away from the, the, the credit that, that Governor Kemp deserved, it, it – it, the messaging from President Trump, as Laurie pointed out on Friday at CDC, was nothing to worry about. Uh, <laughs> right. Don't worry. Yeah. Anybody who needs to get tested can be tested. We're containing uh, the virus. I happen to know a lot about things like this because I have an uncle <laughs> who was brilliant as a doctor <laughs> And there's Governor Kemp standing there having taken a completely different approach to handling this uh, uh, situation. So it's interesting when you say it was a good thing to see him standing with the president. I don't know. If I were the governor, I would have wanted to back up a few steps and
4: get out of frame when the president was talking. (laughs) Well, a lot of uh, Governor Kemp's base, I mean, maybe all of Governor Kemp's base is President Trump's base. And so... President Trump's supporters who are critical to Kemp's political future yeah. want to see him there. So politically speaking, which is not what we're really talking about here, we're not talking about the politics of it, it was uh, very wise for him to be right. there. And look, Kemp is saying the right things. No one's like, oh, Kemp looks dumb because he's standing beside the president who's saying things I don't agree with. Okay. No one thinks that. That's fair. You know? mm-hmm. And look, what, what the president is doing obviously is not necessarily good medical advice. I mean the guy's not – a doctor and he's obviously not an epidemiologist. But I think what he's trying to do is to prevent panic that hurts our economy further. He's worried about people not flying, people not going to shopping malls, people not going to work and that's going to have, make the bottom fall out of the economy potentially, which he obviously is very concerned about. You can see in his messaging, he goes directly at the stock market issue, saying, "You know, the media, the media scare is driving down the prices of of my market, which is beautiful. It's been great. The markets are strong." So you're not endorsing this approach, are you? I'm explaining the approach other, you know, I'm explaining the approach. I think he's worried about the economy collapsing at this juncture in an election year. Jeremiah, let's talk about a
1: a camp and then then please, if you want to weigh in on the president, that's fine. One of the things that, you know, in, in the statement about the fact that that Dobbins is taking in. These uh, uh, people from the cruise ship. Mm-hmm. Just one, one, one quote uh, from from his statement: In the days and weeks ahead, I encourage Georgians to pray for the patients affected by COVID-19 and their healthcare providers. We must continue to support one another, trust the advice of the medical community, and remain vigilant. I was struck by that because it not only speaks to the transparency they've been showing us. But Governor Kemp gave us a a, a somewhat emotional message about this, that we are all in this together in some ways.
0: Sure. And I, I give Governor Kemp a hard time, and rightfully so. But in the last couple of weeks, I think he's demonstrated a good amount of leadership on this issue and taking a very measured response in direct contrast to the president. At the same time, I think trying to address this crisis now is difficult when we don't have things like Medicaid expansion, like, yes, we should trust our medical providers. But there are a lot of people, hundreds of thousands of people, if not millions, in Georgia who are afraid to go to the doctor because if they find out they have coronavirus, then what then? What if they don't have insurance? What if they can't afford treatment even with insurance? I think we have kind of engineered the perfect situation for a crisis like this because people are worried about going to their medical providers. Uh, To the point about Trump, I think that this is a counterproductive effort. I think, if anything, people who are investors, uh, stock market watchers, they will be more panicked when they see a president who fundamentally doesn't understand medical science or science or the flu or the nature of outbreaks, like he has proven that... He really has no handle on this situation. He's not even really it seemed to be trusting his advisors. You don't appoint a vice president who has political experience to oversee a medical response. So I think his response, if anything, is creating less confidence in stock markets and the economy than otherwise.
1: Jim, uh, we should point out that none of the people who are coming to uh, Dobbins at this point, do we know that they are have te- none of none of them has been i don't know that any of them have been tested they will be tested when they get here but the point is we don't have any reason to believe that any are infected with coronavirus at this point
2: right right ex- exactly uh, they uh, uh, i recall mike boyce saying yesterday that uh, that they they will be monitored uh, i would assume that they're going to be kept in separate yeah rooms. for about
1: 14 days of confinement uh, for, i think for
2: 14 14 days but to, you know jeremiah actually makes a, a very very good point i mean you've got we've got what 100 i'm sorry 1.3 million people uninsured in georgia and the problem with a a and and the approach to to uh, to epidemics is 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 kind of like a blanket you throw you throw coverage at everything in every little pocket and so that's going to for, force some very very interesting decisions when it comes to medical treatment for for a lot of Georgians who don't have it, especially in rural Georgia, Lori.
3: Well, I was going to make an observation that we saw the word trust in Governor Kemp's um, statement, and also you you know you talking about tr- uh, trust in our medical professionals, and I think. This is where we're going to rely on, you know, government at its best. Right. Like we need answers. And I think, you know, going back to the over communicate when I was in Colorado last week, um, we were kind of I call it ground zero for Colorado because the first case was in Keystone. We were we were skiing and it's like, oh, gosh. Well, by the end of that day, we knew when that guy had flown into Denver International Airport. We knew the medical clinic he went to. We knew the condos he was staying at. We had all this information to kind of, you know, quell the panic a little bit. And I think, you know, last week I wasn't here in Georgia, but I was looking, you know, it was Fulton County and it was a father and a 15-year-old. And I was like, where did the 15-year-old go to school? You know, everybody was searching for answers. And I think that's where, you know, we can get more of a handle on the panic if we have more details and more facts.
1: Um, you know what's interesting about that, Jim, uh apropos of what Lori's saying, we now know that during the CPAC conference in Washington last week, uh there was one person who attended the conference who in fact tested positive for coronavirus. Um we don't the, the, this person apparently did not come into contact with the president or the vice president but he did in fact have direct communications with Matt schlapp who is the head of course of the organization and and the reason I bring that up today is it kind of speaks to what Laurie is talking about schlapp has been able to reach out to all of what, it, many of the thousands of people who were there people in his organization have been able to to see ascertain how what exposure they might have had to the individual obviously the White House is aware so When it comes to the administration, there seems to be an effort, Jim, to make sure people know about who the victim is and and how they might have interacted with him.
2: All right, well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and on Sunday, you had Senator Ted Cruz of yeah. Texas and uh, Representative Paul Gosser of Arizona announce that they had had direct contact with that person, and they were placing themselves in in self quarantine. And then you've got, you know, uh, I I know uh, President Trump was was uh, was uh, on Twitter uh, as usual this morning, <laughs> accusing Democrats of attempting to in- inflame the situation. But he's supposed to be. He was supposed to be at a healthcare conference in Orlando today, and that conference has been called off completely.
1: So, all right, we're going to keep monitoring this thing um, and and see where we head. But but just one final statement about this, Brian. Um, Laurie said it, and I think we all are aware of it. At least in the next few weeks, lives are going to be radically altered by what we're dealing with right now. There's no question about it.
4: Well. It becomes a new normal eventually and people mm-hmm. kind of get back on on target. So I, I think since this is political rewind. What does this mean for politics? I don't see it having any impact in the Democratic uh, primary going on right now. I don't, it's not really emerging as an issue. But if this impacts the economy, this will be a general election issue moving forward. So um, it just if we there's a chance the economy can can suffer a setback like this. If we bounce back, it's just like, you know, the ice storms we had in 2014 and 2015. Nobody went to work for a week, but the economy didn't suffer because, you know, we just bunched up the work as soon as it was over. Is that going to happen here or is it going to be a slower process? I, 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 go ahead.
3: I think that's really important because I think that's what we want to hear from the president: that hey, look, our economy is strong. We're going to weather this. We know that there will be a few bumps in the road ahead. That's what we want to hear: that realistic talk. Um, and I, th- I think that's what's really important is um, just to hear that, that messaging from the president is that it's going to be okay. What I keep hearing on, you know, when I when I tune into some of the talk shows, is that this is being compared to Katrina, and that's the worst thing that President Trump could be compared to right now. Is this is President Trump's Katrina? Well,
1: and that Jeremiah, let's talk about it for a couple more minutes. Sure. Um, Brian makes a very strong point. Uh, Trump. Uh, touts the economy constantly. It is his measure, main measure of the success he believes he's having as president. And and this could be uh, devastating to, to him in that sense. But leadership, too. I mean, it will, it's going to be interesting to watch to see how his approval numbers uh, 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 tend to trend in the weeks and months ahead, uh, because now is the moment when you prove whether you're A leader or not and the American public will decide whether or not President Trump has in fact been the kind of leader they are looking for in a situation like this.
0: Yeah I think really his ability to maintain his approval right now is predicated on two things. He would have to do one of two things to I think maintain where he is now. One is to step out of the spotlight which is not something he's known for doing or two is to integrate new facts into his worldview which is also something he's not known for doing so i don't really see how he can come out of this looking good if he doesn't change a few things that he's doing and quite frankly based on the last three plus years of him in the white house i don't see any reason to believe that he'll do anything but tweet more about how everything's fine and that's just going to create more
1: chaos and he's not going to understand well we'll watch how that proceeds jim let me give you the last word before we take a break
2: the one thing I did one thing I disagree with with Brian on is is that this could very well have an effect on on just on the the the, the campaign rallies uh, that are going across the country one after another and even Donald Trump rallies I mean yes he gets he he, he, he touts the economy but those those rallies that he's held in every state where Democrats have had primaries lately uh, that's uh that that if he loses those that could be a big blow to him
1: boy. That's a really a good point, Lori. Um You're going to get the last word. <laughs> we, we may be seeing here a reshaping of how candidates are going to continue running for n- not just president, but other offices as well. Um, you know, Bernie Sanders was asked yesterday on Meet the Press if he would uh, – Uh, cancel the large rallies he intends to uh, hold in the weeks ahead. He wouldn't commit to that. Neither would the Biden campaign. They're all saying, well, you know, we, of course, are concerned about safety first. We've heard no word word from the White House, uh, from the president's campaign, rather, about that. But there could be a rethinking of how you run for president.
3: Well, President Trump did address it, saying, you know, I'm not worried. I'm still going to be out there (laughs) shaking hands and all of that. But also, if you think about it, how old are these guys? Yeah, All of them are in that key demographic where, you know, if you're elderly, you will get hit if you get, you know, the coronavirus harder than most folks who are, you know, so that has to be a concern. I mean, what do you do when you campaign? You're out there shaking yeah. everybody's hands yeah. and hugging. And I mean, there there has to be some protocol. I mean, we sent my daughter's soccer team. They were no longer allowed to high five or, mm. you know, so little mm. things like that are gonna change. And how do you campaign in this type of environment? We're going to see.
1: All right. Uh, Yes, we are. We will watch this and continue to uh, cover it here on Political Rewind, as will all of our programs, our news programming here at GPB. Let's do this. Let's get our first break of the show out of the way. When we come back, uh, qualifying ended on Friday for all the races in Georgia coming up in 2020. There was some really fascinating uh, information that came out of them. Let's talk about that after these messages. Welcome back to Political Rewind. Jim Galloway, Laurie Geary, Jeremiah Olney, Brian Robinson on the show today. Jim, uh, qualifying ended on Friday for all the races in Georgia in 2020. Um, <laughs> it's always interesting, isn't it, uh, to uh, see – People who are already incumbents uh, sort of sitting at the Capitol or close to their phones waiting to see whether they drew an opponent before the noon (laughs) deadline and the relief that some of them have and the consternation when others find out they, in fact, are uh, going to face opposition for whatever uh, the race may be. But we we had some really interesting uh, developments, I think. I I would pick as the first one, but then I'll ask you to uh, pick one yourself. 187 Democrats qualifying for 187 uh, seats in the state legislature, um, that's a remarkable number, and it sure does show us that Democrats believe they have an opportunity, they're re-energized, they're ready to uh, make some big strides at the Capitol.
2: Yeah, it's, it's a number we haven't seen out of Democrats since uh, really since the late 90s, uh, before they lost power. Uh, you have 180 seats in the House, and you have another 56 seats in the in the Senate. And I, I think if I'm if I'm not mistaken, I think in the in the uh, 2016 or 2018 cycle, you had maybe only 50 of those seats were were uh, uh, had had competitive uh, races where you had a Republican versus a Democrat in November. Yeah. So this is this is really it, it's it's really extraordinary.
1: Um, and yet the uh, we also, Brian, have a situation in which the seats that flipped in 2018, the Democrats who won Republican seats in 2018, they've all drawn up Republican opponents trying to take back uh, those legislative seats. It, it all points to a really exciting uh, 2020 in, in the legislative races, certainly.
4: I've talked to some of the candidates who are running for those seats, particularly in North Fulton and in Cobb that flipped. And they feel pretty good about where they stand right now, uh, showing, for example, in their polling that President Trump has a net positive approval rating, which, of course, is the best indicator that we have in today's context for how competitive a seat is. So if Republicans are able to take back even just a few of those that they lost, they will eliminate any hopes that Democrats have of winning back the House and perhaps even – not give them any gains at all, which I think most people today are predicting there would be some kind of Democratic game in the 2020 election. So uh, those few, you know, the ones that uh, Betty Price used to hold, the one that Wendell Willard held, the one that Sam Teasley held, those, those, dist- those districts are uh, very competitive.
1: Betty Price is back. She wants to She's win back. She's back in there, yeah. Um, Tom Price's wife, of course. Lori, uh, you know— we all went through this back in two thousand three and four when Republicans took control after Sonny Perdue won the governor's race, and uh, here we see it go in the other direction. Perhaps
3: I remember that night because yeah. I was at Phil Gingrey's headquarters. Ah. <laughs> but um, I think also, though, you have to remember there were what thirteen legislative seats. Um, that, they lo- that Republicans lost mm-hmm. two years ago. And I think Democrats are looking to capitalize on that momentum. I know Jeremiah will weigh in on that, but also since then, if you're going after that female Metro Atlanta kind of, you know, on the fence vote, you have to remember what passed since then, which was um, what we term as the abortion bill. But um, I think that that's gonna play a part in this as well. But I also, you can't discount the fact that this is about President Trump. Yeah. And, you know, everything is it really it, is. Yeah, everything is. you can't <laughs> ignore that. And so, you know, you've got to play to that base. And where do where do those women fall?
0: Jeremiah? I mean, I think they fall in Democratic Party like they did in 2018. I mean, there has been nothing that has changed. If anything, it's gotten worse. The rhetoric and the messaging coming from the White House and the Republicans overall. Generally, they've kind of all come on board with Trump with the exception of your occasional Mitt Romney's like no one really comes out and speaks out against even the worst things that Trump says and does. And I was going back and looking at uh, the competitiveness of state races. Generally, Georgia has always been one of the least competitive states in the nation. I mean, we have under half of our seats generally face major uh, opposition party competition. So this is, I think, really indicative of the massive energy that we have now. Even as we're looking at these very gerrymandered seats, we're still saying we have to compete because there's nothing more important right now than taking back the House, taking back the Senate and
1: getting some sense of rationality back into government. We should point out that that 187 races. Uh, it amounts to more than 80% of the total number of seats in the legislature, Brian, it, it was 40% in uh, 2018 was how many were
0: competed. There in. you so. go.
4: Well, it does go to show you to some degree that Georgia is becoming competitive really across the board. I think 2018 election put to rest any doubt that we are a 51-49 state and getting closer to 50-50. And of course, those are the hopes that people like Jeremiah are, are pinning their uh, their hearts to. And But look, Jeremiah is wrong that nothing has changed. You look at what the General Assembly Republicans are doing this session to target women uh, and and trying to give them issues that they can be supportive of. They have implemented. uh, We have. A bill that passed the House that will allow women state employees to take ma- paid maternity leave, which, of course, is a, a huge step. Uh, Ivanka Trump weighed in with the tweet congratulating Representative Houston Gaines of Athens for carrying that legislation.
0: Via six weeks, right?
4: No, three. Three weeks. OK. Hey. It's a step in the right direction. and and, and two, Georgia, of course, has a very high maternal mortality rate. And you've seen Speaker Ralston take the lead on making sure that new mothers can stay on Medicaid and get the care that they need. Now it's two months. They're going to extend it to six months. It'd be great if it could be a year. But the speaker said, hey, let's not look progress in the face and and say no because it's not everything you want. It's still going to be a a big price tag for the state, but it's Republicans putting resources uh, on Issues that, that women care about.
1: Lori? Well,
3: oh, I yeah. think there's no more important issue this year. We saw it play out um, when Lucy McBath took the seat from Karen Handel than health care. Yeah. Um, this is going to be the number one issue. And I don't care which side of the debate you are on, which side of the aisle you are on, if you're not out there talking about health care and your access to health care. And I think it will be interesting to see the rural health care issue and how it impacts any of these races. We know that Governor Kemp was so popular. Governor or Senator Purdue was so popular in the rural areas. But I'm interested to see how the health care issue will affect some of these races. It, it,
1: it, you know, it's interesting. I'm glad you point out health care as the issue for Lucy McBath. Because it's easy to misunderstand that she won that race because of her position on gun safety. I mean, that clearly is a big part of who she is, mm-hmm. but healthcare is the driving force. I think that got her where she ended up.
3: I think so too, and I think you have to understand that you know I'm a suburban mom, right? And I've got kids, and that's a big issue. So, what do you think about it comes to healthcare?
1: I apologize. Yeah, I didn't mean to cut you off. Except in terms of that. What do you think when you hear Brian say, well, so the Republicans have advanced a bill to give uh, maternal leave uh, for state employees. They've got a three-week a, a three week, uh, plan for that. Uh, Sharon Cooper is having some success in terms of Medicaid coverage for moms who have just given birth. Uh, are those issues – are they handling it in a way that you think will attract women voters?
3: Well, I think so because I think these are – philosophical switches that we haven't seen from the Republicans in a long time. So I think, to Brian's point, they are trying. But I also think, um, you know, there are a lot of women who care about that heartbeat bill, and Mm -hmm. they were glad to see that passed, Um, especially the conservative women and Governor Kemp supporters. But I think it's that metro area, the metro Atlanta suburban moms and, you know, even the metro areas in Savannah and Augusta and all of that, that I'd like to see play out and see what the results will be.
1: All right. I, I want to interrupt for a minute. Jim, in a moment, I want to give you a chance to weigh in on uh, your takeaways from qualifying. But but um, we really need to. There's some very important news developing in New York right now. It We're talking to you again. We're live at about 20 to 10 on uh, Monday morning. They have just halted trading. On the New York Stock Exchange. Oh my! The market is down 1,884 uh, points. It is um, a, a probably we're not. It, it, it among other things because the oil market has plummeted by some 30 percent. Uh, they've halted trading on the market. Obviously, we're going to keep our eye on uh, this as it develops, and uh, you'll be hearing about it throughout the day. But, I mean, I, I think maybe we better talk about this uh, for at least a couple minutes. Uh, Brian, as you pointed out a little while ago, the uh, economy is the most important issue to President Trump. And uh, this has got to be something that he and the people in in his campaign and
4: in the White House are looking at with grave concern. Yeah, uh, as well as the 50 percent of Americans who own stock, you know, uh, and uh, I'm one of those. I've been watching those for the last 20 minutes that we've been talking with some concern. I think one thing that we a benchmark that we need to look at is where was the market on the day that President Obama stepped down and. President Trump took effect. Before this morning, even though there had been a precipitous drop over the last couple of weeks, the market was still 30 percent higher than it was on the day that President Trump took office, which is a great talking point. But if it continues to fall and gets closer to that level, you take away what has been a great – feather in the cap of of President Trump. So obviously, they are going to be very concerned. And obviously, what the Federal Reserve has tried to do to alleviate concerns isn't working right now. So here's the other question. So we've got this, this situation where many people are withdrawing from the marketplace, not going to events or taking trips or going shopping because they're worried about coronavirus. Some people aren't going to school or to work. How many people further, like, don't even do online shopping, because of the impact on the wealth effects. When people's stocks are going up, they feel much more comfortable about buying a new car, buying uh, expensive clothes, et cetera. When that wealth effect goes down, the sh- the consumerism goes down. and That could further inflame this issue. So,
1: so Jim, I, I think it's important that we look at this not just from the perspective that Brian gave us, which is perfectly reasonable, but um, – the stock market is of little concern to people who are not invested in the market, who are trying to get by day in and day out. And so the in, in many ways, that's an entirely different way to look at the economy right now, which is what might happen to jobs as a result of this. Um, it, it's more than just those people who have uh, investments.
2: Yeah, it, it, it is. But it's also, I mean, it's, any anyone who has a four hundred one k anyone who has sure. a pension uh and and granted uh, not not everyone does but but you're right I mean this is the the the, the ripple effect is something you worry about uh, I'm I'm looking at the the Wall Street Journal uh, report right now and basically what happened with that, it uh, you had the S and P five hundred uh, fall seven percent and it, it triggered a, what the, what what they're calling a circuit breaker uh in just an automatic. Automatic. Uh, this was this uh, apparently this wasn't uh, a real a real life human making the decision. This was this was something uh, that was uh, th- that that was set in place. Look. And
3: I think also you have to think about the small business owners, and I count myself among them. My husband and I were having this conversation just the other day. It's like he has a corporate job. It's like if you don't go to work, you still draw a salary, so it's not you know panic for you. If I don't go to work, if I don't get out there and and do my job, I don't get paid. Yeah. And I know that's what's going through the minds of a lot of small business owners, you know, who may be in retail or who may, you know, be consultants is that, wow, like what's ahead for me? All
1: right, mm, uh, you make go ahead. You get in here, Jeremiah.
0: Yeah, and I would just say even more so than that, I mean, it's the people working at the retail stores. It's the low-wage, mm-hmm. minimum-wage right, right. workers who literally can't miss a day of work because they don't get paid, and if they don't get paid, that's a bill they can't pay, or people, even worse, people who are forced to come into work because the managers who say, you're on the schedule, you need to come in. It doesn't matter if you're coughing or not. They are forced to come in, and that spreads it even worse. But, I mean, I think with this stock market decline, that is true. I mean, everything is based on, you know, investors' confidence in the market and it's not because anything is necessarily materially changed. You know, that's suddenly like 10% fewer sales are happening, or anything like that. It's people guessing at what's going to happen in the future, and those guessing games where people trade hundreds of thousands, millions, billions of dollars ultimately will impact the jobs of people who make seven twenty-five an hour, and they're the ones who are going to suffer the most. The people with you know tons of investment in the stock market, they're going to be fine either way. But their panic is really going to hurt people who actually need the money.
1: All right, um, we will all keep our eye on this as the uh, day goes on. Um, Let's, Jim, if, if we can, let's go back to state politics for, for a few minutes, because uh, clearly the 2020 election is still terribly important. Um, when you looked at qualifying and uh, I saw the various stories that came out of it, what were some of the things that really struck you as being particularly interesting?
2: Well, number one, you have 20 people signed up to challenge uh, uh, Kelly Loeffler and hmm. and for her for her US Senate seat 20 people yeah. i mean can you uh, you know i'm uh, i'm supposed to get on uh, on the line with the, with the uh, Atlanta press club on tuesday how how do you handle debates for that
1: yeah <laughs> you, can, you, you,
2: can, you can't just have two you've got to have three uh, to to make any to make any headway there there uh you had some some very very interesting uh uh, primary challenges jump up. Uh, uh, Jeff Mullis, the House, the Senate Rules Chairman uh, out of Chickamauga, he's getting a, a challenge from State uh, Representative Colton Moore. Uh, that's unusual. You have a, a, an old hand, uh, uh, Buddy DeLoach. He used to be a he, he's at, uh, on the coast over in Hinesville. He used to be a state rep here. He's challenging the Republican uh, uh, current state rep, Jeff Jones of Brunswick. Uh, and plus, you know, my goodness, you had that that judicial race. That was called off a a statewide race for the Supreme Court that was called off because of a judge's decision, the announcement that he's going to resign on November 18th.
1: And therefore give uh, uh, Governor Kemp the opportunity to appoint uh, until 2022 uh, someone to uh, fill that seat. Laurie, the other interesting thing here, among many other things, is that uh, although that Senate race number two has now got a huge number of uh, people competing, Uh, The May primary contest for David Perdue's seat, uh, David Perdue drew no Republican opponents. He is through to the general election and can begin focusing his campaign on November already.
3: I don't think that's surprising considering his war test and who was going to go up against that. Um, So, I I mean, I I don't see that as surprising at all. I think that a lot of Republicans feel that that is maybe a safer seat um, than, you know, Kelly Loeffler hanging on to hers.
1: Yeah. Um, Brian, uh, going to Senate race number two, as as uh, uh, Jim just pointed out, it's a packed field now. So uh, we're all going to be sitting here well into December talking about the runoff uh, for that race. There's virtually no way with that many people on the ballot that you're going to get a majority
4: in the uh, November 3rd election. And if you look at what the attacks from the National Republican Senatorial Committee against Doug Collins have been. They have focused on the idea that Collins is putting the seat at risk, that because of that fight, a Democrat could emerge and get 50 plus one. I think they're going to need to drop that line of attack because nobody's going to find that believable. Yeah. I mean, this is just going to be—it's uh, going to be a bit chaotic. I mean, to just point about the 20 candidates on the debate stage. Here's my suggestion: you don't have 20 candidates on the debate <laughs> stage. <laughs> <laughs> Many of these are going to be are going to be gadflies. You go by the polls, just the yeah. Democrats yeah. doing the presidential race. You've got to look to see who is viable, yeah. and because I mean, to do otherwise is a is a disservice to the voters because, you know, what look what you, what you have with the. Democratic Democratic presidential race when they had 20 plus candidates, no one could emerge because it was just noise, you know, and you ended up having really unfortunate uh, instances like some of the the Senator Harris attack on Joe Biden about busing, you know, people just trying to break out by doing things that that probably for the whole party aren't politically smart.
1: Okay, Uh, Jeremiah, one other uh, fascinating note in all of this is that John Lewis has drawn a Republican opponent. Um, And she is uh, Angela Stanton King. Mm -hmm. She was a cast member on Real Housewives of Atlanta. She also was convicted for her part, I think, conspiracy, I think, in an auto theft ring, went to prison. She was one of the people President Trump pardoned recently, and uh, she has now decided to run as a Republican. She won't face Lewis in the primary, of course, Mm -hmm. but she will presumably be out there waiting for him. She is uh, Alveda King's goddaughter and, like Alveda King, shares her belief that abortion must be outlawed she says i have all the respect in the world for what john lewis did in the civil rights days but we have a new civil rights battle that's for the unborn child
0: yeah i mean she's welcome to run in georgia's fifth district i don't know that anyone with an r next to their name in George's fifth is going to pick up much traction that being said i think this is a great opportunity for her to get her name out and probably sell some more books and i But I don't really – there's obviously not a viable path for her to win this race. But she will be able to stir up a lot of noise in a
1: year where there's already a lot of noise as well. Yeah, I think that's exactly the point, Laurie, is that there's going to be attention paid to her as a result of this.
3: I think so. And I think you know it brings up the issue of abortion again. But it is, as Jeremiah said, it is the fifth congressional district. We've seen Congressman Lewis draw some Democratic challenges in years past. I mean, Abel Mabel Thomas, Markel Hutchins, um, and to no avail.
0: And this year as well, he has a Democratic challenger. I disagree with mm -hmm. all three of
4: you guys.
1: He, uh, to- Brian Robinson says Fulton County is turning red.
4: <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree with the part about viability. What I disagree with is the ability to make noise. The fact is nobody cares about congressional races anymore, and that's even more so when it's a safe seat for one party or the other. No one's going to give uh, this candidate, and God bless her for trying. I'm glad to see a Republican woman, particularly a minority Republican woman, yep. getting into this. That's great for the party. So, uh just visuals, it's a good visual, it's good, good imagery for us, um, and it, we need to do more recruiting like that, so I, I'm very happy to see it happen. But it's not going to be possible for her to get All much right. attention. Do you uh, think
0: there's Jim, a dearth of reality stars in the party right now? Because I am happy to see more of them being added as well. <laughs> the
4: president
1: <laughs> is a reality
0: star. Really? That was no, kidding. Jeremiah's
3: point. Okay. <laughs> yeah.
1: Jim, uh, let me first point out, before I ask you the next question, that uh, that Brian Robinson, who to some extent makes his living on congressional races, has just told us that nobody cares about congressional I races not anymore. not Lucy McBath but, and Karen Handel. They
4: don't get much media coverage.
1: Jim, uh, one other quick note before we have to take our break, um, in, 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 in kind of running in parallel with the incredible uh, qualifying uh, numbers that we saw is early voting numbers. Um, as of Friday morning, reporting out of the Secretary of State's office, which had four days of early voting numbers, had more than 80,000 people had taken ballots. I mean, that's an astonishing number of people in early voting. And the uh, profiles of those people, the demographics, are interesting, too.
2: Uh, Do elucidate, because I have not checked that site. Uh, What what were were, were the 2016 figures?
1: Well, the 2016 – I don't have those numbers in front of me. I do know that these numbers, I think, are more than double what we (laughs) saw, well more than double. And what's interesting about them, Laurie, is – and I know you were out of town last week – More uh, white voters than African-American voters, more older voters, and that's not quite as surprising than younger voters. These, by the way, are people voting, I should have said, in the presidential preference primary, March 24th, Um, and a good deal more women than men. You can only go so far in speculating on what it means, but some of those numbers are good for Joe Biden.
3: I would say so. I mean, I think it's a foregone conclusion unless something happens that Joe Biden wins Georgia big, yeah. um, just like he did in South Carolina. But also, I think um, people are turning out, too, because we've got these new voting machines. Mm-hmm. And I think people don't want to wait till the last minute. Um, they want to make sure that their vote is counted um, and they want to make sure that, you know, how these things work. They want to see them firsthand up close. I, don't, I think that might play into it as well.
1: All right, um, let's do this. Let's get our uh, final break of the show out of the way when we come back a lot more on Political Rewind. Um, let me update you again now as of 1053, uh, uh, 953, trading has resumed on the uh, New York Stock Exchange. Markets are hovering right around 2,000 point. Uh, drop So again, uh, people will be watching that uh, throughout the day today. Another quick update. Uh, Governor Kemp is going to hold a news conference at 415 this afternoon to update the state on cr- where we stand with coronavirus. We're waiting for the uh, testing to come back on t- six individuals, I believe, who have been uh, uh targeted for possible exposure to the virus and perhaps to, to have uh, COVID-19. Uh, we're going to stream that at gpb.org slash virus so people can watch it when it happens. Um, Laurie, let's talk very briefly uh, with the time we have left. Uh, tomorrow, huge day. Six more states vote in uh, presidential primaries. Um, It's kind of being called Mini Super Tuesday. Uh, The one that everybody's keeping their eye on is certainly Michigan. It's a showdown between Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders.
3: It was. in four years ago, if you remember, Bernie Sanders won um, over Hillary Clinton, which kind of gave him kind of a rebirth in his campaign. He's hoping for that again. I think he's canceled several other campaign stops and is solely focused on Michigan. But if you look at the latest polling, um, and we saw Cor- Senator Cory Booker come out and endorse Joe Biden today, I think if you look at the latest polling, it is a uphill climb for Bernie Sanders. And I think in a lot of ways, it's kind of make it or break it. Because I think if Joe Biden does well tomorrow and has the momentum coming out of this mini Super Tuesday, I mean, he's definitely the one to stop.
1: Yeah, uh, Jim, I think uh, it Laurie puts it in perfect perspective. Four years ago, Hillary Clinton was expected to win Michigan by as much as 20 points, which is right now what the most recent polling is showing uh, Biden uh, leading Sanders there. He shocked the nation by beating her by about a point and a half and it kept his campaign alive and he ran it all the way to the convention.
2: And and what's telling is is who he's uh, who, who Sanders is giving up in order to uh, hold on to Michigan.
1: Yeah, he's, he's abandoning Mississippi,
2: for instance. Yeah, where uh, Biden one of the seems
1: to have a lead of of, of like forty some percent. Um, he's giving up Missouri. He, well, he, at least he's not competing in Missouri. Washington State, though, Jeremiah, is a state where Bernie Sanders has the ability to pull out. Uh, some delegates, but he's not out there either. He's been in Michigan for the entire uh, weekend.
0: I mean, I think you look at Washington; it looks like safer territory. I can't say off the top of my head just how well he did in 2016, but I know he did quite well. Washington's a state where, very interesting, they do mandatory uh, mail ballots as yeah. well. So I think in any case we have higher turnout. I think because you know 18 18- to 29 year olds, people under 45 are less likely to turn out than people over 45. If they are given an opportunity to easily and simply cast their ballot, then you're going to see more of them voting. You're going to see Bernie Sanders support go up in those
4: places. Brian, how are you watching this unfold tomorrow? Well, I hate to just go along with the conventional wisdom, but I agree that Michigan is the key. You know, you've got Bernie out there pushing the trade message saying that Biden has been for these free trade deals that have decimated the industrial Midwest it worked presumably in 2016 when he pulled off an upset win against Hillary Clinton there. It's one of the things that kept his campaign alive and stretched out that that campaign, which really did end up hurting the Democrats in the long run. But it looks today like Biden has come from behind once again. You know, Bernie did have a lead in Michigan. Now Biden has taken a lead and, according to some polls, has taken a massive plus-20-point lead. If you see a blowout there, this thing is Over, You know, I was so excited about where Georgia was in the electoral game this year. We weren't Super Tuesday. We were kind of going to be alone later in the month. The campaign looked to be likely to stretch out because there were so many candidates who are well-funded. But now it looks like by the time our voters get a say, Joe Biden will be the presumptive nominee if he's not so already. Galloway? Uh, Look.
2: I can't remember the last election day that was was preceded by the closing of the New York stock market. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's going to have a tremendous effect on 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 Tuesday voting. Again, uh, you, I think you would suggest
1: less... people are going to look for somebody who they believe yeah. they can trust and is stable at tomorrow. They are
2: not going to be looking for revolutionist. They're looking, no. uh, uh, looking. They, they, they will be looking for somebody who's going to preserve this or, or get us back to the status quo, what we all thought was the status quo. So I, I think this is it, it, it. Could be a dreadful night for for Bernie Sanders.
1: Well, we'll we'll certainly watch it play out. Uh, one one other quick note, um, Jim. Let me give it to you because we've got very little time. But um, there was an important lawsuit that was settled uh, at, at the end of last week or, or over the weekend, actually, that has to do with absentee ballots and uh, would require counties to, uh, to avoid problems that we've had in the past with people not being notified soon enough that their absentee ballot has been rejected. The agreement that has been reached would uh, mandate that uh, uh, election officials have to – But within three days of rejecting an absentee ballot, let the voter know that the ballot has been rejected. And if it's 11 days or closer to an election, they have to do it within 24 hours. That's a big victory for people who worried about voter suppression in terms of absentee ballots, particularly in Gwinnett County.
2: It is. It is. And and especially when these decisions were being made on, on exact match.
1: All right. That's it. We're completely out of time. <laughs> Galloway, thank you for saying that. Uh, Jim Galloway, Lori Geary, uh, Jeremiah Olney, and Brian Robinson, thank you for a show that evolved as we were on the air. Everybody, we'll be our, back our again. Yeah. Yeah, we'll be evolved. We'll be back again uh, tomorrow. Join us then.